Welcome to It's No Accident, a podcast about the challenges of personal injury and wrongful death law in Florida, one of the nation's most complex legal environments. You'll hear compelling stories about real cases from our law firm in Tallahassee that will help you better understand your rights and protect yourself from the negligence of others. I'm Mark Nani. And I'm Jason Hamola. And this is It's It's No No Accident. Accident. So, you know, I know a lot of times, uh, you know, it seems like people have some misconceptions just about what we do and how it works and, um, you know, in our practice. And I know it's something that you and I deal with a lot just in terms of, you know, potential new clients, friends, family, people we're talking to. What are some of the, uh, you know, what's one of the you know, most common, I guess, misconceptions that you see a lot that you're correcting people or explaining to people? Um, I would say probably the biggest misconception or just something that people don't understand or they just don't know, haven't been educated on, is how we get paid um, for these types of cases, number one. And then number two, whether or not they're going to owe anything if they call our office and set an appointment with us or talk to us on the phone if they're going to owe us anything Mm -hmm. for that consultation. Um, And the answer to the latter is that, you know, they don't, we don't we don't charge for consultations. Right. Um, you, if you call into our office and you get one of us on the phone and you know we go, you tell us what's going on and we give you some information about what you should do, um, and you don't end up becoming a client, um, you don't owe, you're not going to owe us anything right. for that phone call. You're not going to get a bill in the mail. You're not going to get a bill in the mail. <laughs> right. You're not going to get a bill in the mail. Uh, we offer free consultations, and then the um, the second misconception is uh, just. The, cont- the whole contingency fee right. um, and how we get paid in these cases. Do you want to handle that? Yeah, yeah. Because a lot of times I think I hear people talk about, well, you know, I'd like to hire an attorney, but how am I going to afford it? How, how am I going to pay you? Right. Yeah. You know, and people think about hiring an attorney in terms of the more, say, traditional, you know, I got to pay a big retainer and I'm going to have to pay them, you know, three or $500 an hour or something like that. And, you know, attorneys do work that way, but that's not the way we work. And that's not the way, you know, I guess most personal injury attorneys work. Um, it's a contingency fee contract. Like you just said, it's a contingency fee basis, which is basically that, you know, there's the client doesn't pay anything upfront to hire us. There's no retainer. There's no upfront money. Right. As we work on the case, um, we're basically fronting the expenses, like any expenses that come up along the way in terms of the case uh, for the case, we're paying that money, essentially fronting that money. And then at the end of the case, if we're successful and we get a recovery for the client, we get a percentage of that as our fee. And you know, the client gets, you know, the rest minus any medical bills that have to be paid or anything. And then the key to it all is if things don't go our way and we don't get a recovery from the cl- for the client, then they don't owe us anything. Right, right. right. And so it, it makes it a lot, um, you know, uh, I guess you could say lower risk for the client. I mean, yep. easier for them to, you know, um, get the case going. And, and really what it is, is it, it enables people no matter how rich or poor you are to be able to have an attorney represent you in a case. Right. right? You don't have to right. be rich to have an attorney. Yeah. And it's the contingency fee is pretty unique to the, the personal injury area of law. And, you know, it came about because, you know, people that are involved in car wrecks or they're injured and they're not able to work and, you know, they're not, they don't have a paycheck coming in and they don't necessarily have the resources to hire an attorney. It gives them the ability to go up against some of these uh, large corporations that have unlimited resources. You know, you can go get an attorney and that attorney can, can sign you up and they, um, they're invested in the case with you. Right. And, you know, you, you're working together to to fight the uh, to fight the insurance company or to fight the big corporation mm-hmm. to to try to get 
extract money out of them to get a recovery for our clients. Right, right, yeah, that's why I always kind of explain to people basically what you just said, it's like our interests are aligned. I mean, it, with the way that contract works, and I mean, just to be blunt, it's like, you know, the, the, the bigger the settlement is, the more money everybody gets. You know, we're, right. we're kind of, uh, you know, aligned from that perspective. Um, uh, and I guess, what you know, a lot of times I'll bring that up because sometimes you'll hear clients talk about like, oh, you know, some attorneys, they just, you know, settle quick and for cheap just because they want to hurry up and get money. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, to me, it's like that doesn't make a lot of sense because it's, you know, like I said, I mean, the, the better the settlement you get for the client, the better, you know, fee you get. And so you're on the same, you know, on the same incentive, so to speak. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and then, you know, on top of that, we'll, we'll get phone calls and, you know, a, the, the, we'll get questions about how we get paid. And then I would say probably the second misconception or misunderstanding about what we do is um, the fact that a lot of people think that if you call an attorney and you hire an attorney for a personal injury case, that means that you're going to court, right? You're going to have to go to court. You're going to have to give a deposition. Um, you're going to uh, open up every aspect of your life to to the insurance company and the defense counsel, and they can nitpick everything about you. Um, and it's going to be a you know long drawn out process. And what is the what's the reality of that though? I mean, do, we know not every case goes to court. Sure. You know, what would you say the um, the likelihood of a case going to court is? Yeah, and it's low. And that's what I. You're right. I mean, I get that a lot. And you know, and a lot a lot of times it's during the initial consultation where you can tell, you know, the client wants to hire us and wants to you know move forward with the case, but they're just worried, like you said. Well, I don't want to have to go to court, right? And the reality is. And what I normally tell people is, you know, the odds of you actually going to court are real low, <laughs> you know, very low. Yeah. I mean, just statistically, if you look at it, I think, um, you know, a, a lot of a big percentage of these cases, you know, like we've talked about before, get settled without ever filing a lawsuit. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and then even the ones that do get where lawsuits do get filed, it's still a huge percentage of those cases end up settling. I mean, I've looked at numbers over the years where it's something maybe like 90, 95 percent of all cases where lawsuits filed end up settling. Yeah. So the odds of actually ending up in a courtroom are real low um, from that perspective, number one. And number two, I always try to remind the clients too, like it's, it's whether or not you end up in court is in your control. Yeah, <laughs> you know, absolutely. Because ultimately you could settle, and if you settle, then we don't go to court, right? And absolutely. so it's never, at least with us, it's never a situation where you're getting arm twisted into having to go into a courtroom if that's not what you want to do. Right? No, no. And you know, as soon as you file that lawsuit, you're in what's called the litigation process. And there's a lot of steps during that litigation process that um, are set up uh, specifically to try to uh, encourage settlement. Uh, you'll right. you have the mediation process and then you'll have the proposals for settlement. Um, you'll have all those things that are happening throughout the litigation process that encourage settlement. And I would say, you know, the deeper you get into trial or into litigation, the um, the less percentage there is of cases that get there. Right. Um, you know, a lot of cases will file the lawsuit and we'll get it settled pretty quickly. And then if that doesn't happen after depositions, we'll get it settled. And then if they don't get it settled right after the depositions, we'll have a mediation where the case could potentially get settled. Um, and then if the case makes it past the, um, the mediation, um, there's some things and we don't need to get into the specifics of it, but there's a process called offer of judgment or proposal for settlement mm -hmm. that encourages uh, encourages settlement. So, 
you know, even if the, there is a lawsuit filed on your case, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to end up in a trial sitting in a jury or sitting in a uh, witness box in front of a jury, right. uh, you know, telling them about your injuries and, and, and how the collision happened or the, the fall happened or the injury happened. Right. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. And, and honestly, I mean, I guess I, I feel like I'm, not all the time, but a lot of the times the cases that do end up in trial, it's a situation where usually the insurance company or whoever's on the other side, a big corporation or insurance company kind of gives you no choice because the offer they've made is so ridiculously low. You know, like if they're offering you less than what your medical bills are, yeah. you know, it's kind of like yeah. making the decision easy for you. Like, well, I guess we got to go to trial even though I don't want to, but it's it, like I, we've said, it's pretty rare. So, um, I know another thing that I get a lot and, um, in, you know, in terms of the different misconception that we hear is, you know, basically how prem, what we call premises liability cases work, mm -hmm. right? And, and usually what it is is a situation where someone gets hurt at, usually at a business, you know, whether it's a, a you know, grocery store or, a, you know, a, some other different type of store, they slip and fall, they trip and fall, something happens and they get hurt and they're automatically just thinking, well, I got hurt on this company's property or this store's property, so therefore they automatically owe me money. And that's just not the reality of how it works, right? I right. Mean, how do you right. usually explain that to people? Yeah, it, it doesn't work like that at all. Um, and, you know, it is it is surprising that people are angry when they call in um, sure. on these premises liability cases. And, and a lot of times, I, I mean, a lot of times when people call in on a trip and fall or a slip and fall or some sort of premises liability case, it's a few weeks after it happened. Right. And um, they have they feel like they've been mistreated or they haven't been... Uh, called back or you know they've been slighted by the the place where they were injured right um and what we hear a lot of times is you know i didn't plan on calling an attorney on this but you know when i called and talked to them they made me feel really bad about myself mm -hmm. that i would even try to make make a claim or they said they would pay my medical bills and now i can't get them to call me back um, right. you know, there's all these things that, that typically happen in these premises liability cases. And, you know, I'll, I'll look at them and I'll be like, man, if they would have just called them back and paid, paid this emergency room bill, you know, probably wouldn't be here. Right. Um, yeah, instead of insulting them or right, offering or, them a $20 gift card or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> things like that. But, um, from a legal standpoint, you, there's things that you have to prove. You have to prove that there was actual negligence on the part of the property owner before you can you can make a claim. Um, and the legislatures made it um, made it more difficult. There were some laws that were put in place. Um, I don't know. It was probably about ten years now. Yeah, at least. Yeah, um, that they made it a little bit more difficult to to bring these premises liability cases. Um, what, what do you have to show legally speaking? Right. I mean, in the, the, the big thing that people don't realize it's, you know, I mean, number one, we got to prove what the dangerous condition, the dangerous condition that caused you to get hurt, right? right? Whether that's, you know, a puddle on the ground, whether that's, um, you know, a, a hole that was there that was covered up and so you couldn't tell it was there. You got to prove what the dangerous thing is that caused you to get hurt. And that's usually the easy part, right? Usually people right. know what caused them to fall or trip or, you know, what fell on them or whatever, right? right. But then the hard part is you got to prove that the, the defendant, the company, that you know, the grocery store or whatever, that they either knew about that dangerous condition before you got hurt, like they had prior knowledge of it, or that they should have known about it. Right. Right. And that's where it gets tough. Right. Because yeah. it's like, especially like in my mind, classic example, puddle of water in the middle of the, you know, the, the floor at a store. How, how are you going to prove, you know, number one, you don't have to prove where the water came from, but it usually helps, right? If you could prove that, which is often difficult, but it's 
really difficult to prove that they knew about that puddle being there before you ever got there and fell on it. Right. right? I mean, right. unless someone had, like spontaneously admits it after the fact, like, yeah. oh, I told Bob to clean that up an hour ago. And that know, does happen. It, 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 it happens, but not very often. No, yeah. right. So it's either you got to prove that they knew about it or that it was basically there for so long that they should have known about it. Right. Right. So like if, if the spill just happened two minutes ago and then you fall, that's not long enough for them to have done anything about it. Right. We got to right. be reasonable and give them an opportunity to realize it and fix it. But if the spill happened two hours ago and it's just been sitting there, you know, then, you know, then that's the evidence we would need to bring a case. But again, it, it, it can be difficult to prove that, you know, yes. exactly when it happened. And, and obviously that's when surveillance cameras come into play a, a lot. I know in, you know, a lot of our cases, right, you've had experience with yeah. trying to get surveillance cameras and how that works. It's interesting. Um, it, it's interesting how these surveillance cameras work. And, um, you know, one of the things that we always do in a premises liability case is when we send out our letter of representation to the uh, to the store or the insurance company or whoever it is, the premises owner, in our letter of representation, we ask them to preserve any video surveillance of the area where our client claims that they, that they fell. Mm-hmm. Um, and what happens all the time is they say that either they don't have surveillance video um, or, you know, the, the, we had a surveillance video there, but it wasn't working that day. Right. Um, or we didn't get a good shot of that area on the surveillance video. Or in a case where they feel like they've got a really good uh, argument that they didn't do anything wrong, we'll get the video. <laughs> right, right, um, you right. pretty much know if if they're telling you that, or, or they'll say that they do have the video, but it's work product and they're not going to give it to us. Right. If, if they claim any of those things and they don't give us the video, we know that we probably have a pretty good argument that they did something wrong. Right. Um, if, they, if, if we just get an email with a video in it and they're like, look, see, we didn't do anything wrong. You know, they probably didn't. Right. You know, they're, it, it's it's interesting how that works. It is. And, yeah. and, and, and kind of what you're saying is kind of another thing that people don't realize is it, basically what you're talking about. And, and just to kind of put a finer point on it, we send them the letter telling them to preserve the video, but they have no... Um, they have no duty to give us the video before a lawsuit's right. filed, right? right? So we can ask them for a copy yep. of the video before a lawsuit's filed, but they don't have to give it to us. And it's kind of like what you're saying. Right. If they do give it to us, it usually means it's bad for us and they think it's good for them. And if yep. they won't give it to us, the opposite, right? Yeah. And then even once you file a lawsuit, once you, you know, once you file a lawsuit, then you can, you know, essentially subpoena it. It's not really a subpoena, but request it from them yep. and get it from them. Um, but then there's even battles over that too, right? In terms of like whether you can get it before the deposition or not. Yeah, there's always battles over it, and that's that's a. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. That's another misconception that uh, that people have when they come in is that we can just ask the store yeah. for the video. Right. Like, oh, they, there's, they there's a camera there to us, yeah. right? There's a camera there. Let's just get the video and right. look at it. It's just not that easy. Um, the harder they fight to give you the video the better the information on the video usually is for us for is, sure. is uh, how that typically works. For sure. For sure. And I'm in, I'm in a fight right now in one of my cases where, you know, like I said, once you file the lawsuit, then you can request the video, but then the fight becomes, they want to take my client's deposition right. before they'll give us the video. So they don't want, they want to, my client to go under oath and, and, you know, give sworn testimony without having the benefit of being able to see the video that the other side's already seen. Right. Right. And then, and then after the deposition's over, once you've given all your sworn testimony, then they'll try to give you the video. And that's, the law doesn't say it works like that, but basically it's a fight, you know, and I'm in a case right now where we're filing motions about that and we're going to probably in a few weeks go to have a hearing and the judge is going to decide, yeah. do we get the video before or after, you know, yeah. and, that, and that point it's just up to the judge and some judges go one way and some go the other. You yeah. Know, so. Yeah. It just depends on, on how the judge sees it. 
Um, and I've had, I've had it go both ways. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes they say, give them the video before the deposition. Sometimes they say, you know, the deposition scheduled, go do the deposition, then you can have the video. Um, and what happens in that situation, if you don't have the video is your client will go in there and they'll give a, a pretty accurate representation as to what happened, but there'll be these, these fine points that they don't necessarily remember. And then of course the defense attorney, um, I mean, it's their job to do it, but they want to nitpick every little thing that they got wrong because right. they don't remember exactly what happened, you know, 18 months ago right. when they, when they fell or tripped in this, in the store on this property. Um, but yeah, they're difficult cases. Premises liability cases are, are difficult and they've been made more difficult because the, um, as we've talked about on this podcast, um, there's been changes in the legislature, mm -hmm. um, uh, recently and it's the comparative negligence. Uh, right. change yes. that was made. Um, it, it's made these cases a lot more difficult to bring. Um, attorneys aren't going to take as much risk on these cases as what they may have in the past. Mm -hmm. um, because, and what's the reason for that? What, what sure. was the change that was made? Yeah, it was in, um, back in March, part of the law that changed. The easiest way to explain it is you know, if the case goes to trial, which like we talked about, is not super common, but if it does go to trial, the jury gets to decide who's at fault and they get to a, a, basically give a percentage of fault to the defendant and to the plaintiff. So they, and it has that up to a hundred, right? So they could say it's a hundred percent the defendant's fault, zero percent the plaintiff, vice versa. They could say it's 80, 20, 50, 50, whatever, right? And under the old law, whatever percentage gets applied to our client, to the plaintiff. Um, so like if the, the uh, jury says it's 50% our client's fault, then we basically still get 50% of whatever the money that the jury awarded, right? So right. you just, you take the money that the jury awards and you subtract out the percentage that gets applied to the plaintiff, right? right. So you still get the other part. Um, under the new law, the way that the, the law was changed now to make it so that if 51% or more of the fault gets apportioned to the plaintiff, to our client, then we get $0, right? right? So like un previously, our client's 51% at fault, we still get 49% of the money. Right. Now our client's 51% at fault, you get zero. And it's, it's a big deal in these cases because I think every trip and especially trip and fall, slip and fall case I've ever had or ever seen that's gone to trial, there's always some percentage that gets put on the plaintiff, right. inevitably, you know, no matter what, almost no matter what the facts are, people are just like, well, shouldn't watch them where you were going better or something like that, right. you know? And, right. and so uh, it makes it more scary, I guess you could say, like you were just saying in terms of, you know, taking those cases and, and going to trial and running the risk that, you know, you the jury says it's 51% of your fault and you get zero. Yeah, and you have no idea what it, you, you know, you get a you get a jury, you could try a premises liability case a hundred times and, you know, you could probably get a hundred different results as sure. to what the, uh, what the percentage on each party was. I mean, you just never know what a jury's gonna do um, and and it makes it a lot more risky mm -hmm. for, for us to take those cases. For sure. So.